Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here. And today I have the privilege of hosting Dana Dornsife. She's the CEO of Lazarex Cancer Foundation, a nationwide nonprofit organization she founded in 2006 in response to a family experience with cancer. The unique mission of Lazarex is to improve the outcome of cancer care, giving hope, dignity, and life to advanced stage cancer patients and the medically underserved by providing assistance with costs for FDA clinical trial participation, identification of clinical trial options, community outreach, and engagement. I'm just really excited for the conversation we're going to have with her today. And uh, Dana, thank you so much for just coming here on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Saul. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation as well. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so... The work that you guys do is is extraordinary, you know, and in a time of of anyone's life that happens to to be dealing with cancer, it's a very challenging one. And on top of that, the costs associated with treating it is also very challenging. So what is it that that lit your spark to get involved in healthcare to begin with? Well, honestly, I never intended to get mm-hmm. um, involved in healthcare. It healthcare had intentions for me. <laughs> and that came about as a result of a, a personal family experience with pancreatic cancer. Actually, mm. my my youngest sister, Aaron's husband, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2003. And mm. he was stage four when he was diagnosed and he was given three months to live. Wow. At the time, they had three very young children. And, you know, we knew what the prognosis was for Mike. So Mike went on to standard of care, he went on to to chemotherapy, and they asked me if I would look into uh, cancer clinical trials for Mike, Mm -hmm. because we knew if we tried the same thing that everyone else had done, we weren't going to get different results. Right. So of course I said yes, and I really truly didn't realize what I was signing up for. Um, (laughs) It took me five weeks to navigate through the world of clinicaltrials.gov, you know, I am a designer by trade. So I am mm-hmm. was wholesale unqualified <laughs> to be taking <laughs> on that activity, but you know, I did it anyway for the sake of my loved ones. Mm-hmm. And five weeks later, I emerged from that process with a short list of clinical trials that I thought made some sense for Mike. And, you know, I'd read two or three sentences of a protocol and then look up 16 words on medicaldictionary.com. And I, I was truly like overwhelmed by the whole process. And I thought, how does anyone get through this? Right. I, I didn't have cancer. I wasn't taking care of someone with cancer. My youngest son had just gone off to college. I told my business, I mean, I was in the perfect place to be able to do this. Yeah. And then when we got Mike involved in a trial, um, he met other patients who were having 
challenges uh, with pancreatic cancer. And he was actually responding really well to his trial. And so they always asked him, what are you doing? And he said, oh, just call my sister-in-law, Dana. She'll help you. (laughs) And literally, um, Saul, that's how Lazarex Cancer Foundation began. You know, we got 19 months of life for Mike through a clinical trial. So his children, you know, were able to spend extra time with him. His youngest daughter remembers him as a result of that 19 months. And sadly, we lost Mike, but the phone kept ringing. And here we are, you know, 17 years later. I can I mean, just un- amazing. That's just amazing uh, that that this, you know, act of kindness has evolved to become, you know, what it is today. And I uh, just want to give you major recognition for that. I mean, to give that life, you know, additional life to Mike, uh, those memories to his family. And uh, and now, I mean, how many people are you guys helping a year? Well, this year, even, you know, with the impact of COVID mm-hmm. on clinical trial participation, we're going to close the year out between 1,100 and 1,200 patients. I mean, just amazing, um, right? Yeah. And that, I mean, if you think about it, that's the size of an entire clinical research program in a lot of the comprehensive cancer centers, you know? That's so, um, yeah. So, there is a lot of need out there. Huge work and important work. So as you, and you've already, you know, alluded to some of these things, Dana, but as you, you know, consider how Lazarex adds value to the healthcare ecosystem, how would you articulate that? Well, we're addressing barriers and challenges that really no one else is addressing. We remain, I can't believe it, but we started in 2006 and it's 2020. You know, so 14 years later, we still remain the only nationwide cancer nonprofit that not only does clinical trial uh, research Mm -hmm. to identify opportunities for cancer patients, but we actually provide financial assistance to them and a travel companion so that patients can actually participate in trials. And you know, there are other organizations who do clinical trial navigation, and there are some who provide, you know, some financial support. But really, for a cancer patient to be able to make a commitment to participating in a clinical trial, you, you have to be there with them the whole way. You have to hold yeah. their hand and you have to go through every step of the process with them, and you have to provide enough resource for them to be able to continue. And that's what we do. We reimburse our patients every month for, you know, yes, you know, airfare lodging, but truthfully, the majority of the time, it's a tank of gas, tolls, and parking that are preventing patients from taking advantage of novel therapeutics and cancer clinical trials and, you know, really connecting them to a lifeline of, for what's next. Because if they don't, if they fail standard of care, and they're not able to participate in a clinical trial, they will die. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. And, uh, you know, uh, it sounds like a lot of, you know, the, you know, as we like to call social determinants of health, you guys are identifying some of these these uh, bottlenecks and helping them, helping them get Absolutely. There. You know, yeah. one of the things that's really come to light uh, with COVID is health disparities mm-hmm. and how social determinants of health and where you live, where, you know, 
uh, really does impact health outcomes. We've been addressing health disparities in cancer for a long time. You know, we, we're really focused on improving cancer health outcomes. We have a very low minority participation rate in cancer clinical trials in this country. It's, it's you know, 5%, which is, you know, it's impossible to understand the scientific efficacy of a, of a drug when you're, for all segments of our population, when you're only testing it, you know, predominantly on one segment of the population, the white population. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, our, our work on addressing these cancer health disparities, we really focused on improving the diversity of cancer clinical trials and, you know, again, getting patients where they need to be when they need to be there so they can take advantage of those opportunities. Totally. And so let's dive in deeper here, Dana. And and so obviously the uniqueness is clear, right? You, you guys are doing a lot of this. There's care coordination. There's, you know, finding those gaps. But how would you, what, what would you say is, is one of the things that makes you guys most unique? Well, um, I always, when I address my team around this, I always say we have to take action, right? Mm-hmm. There is a tendency in industry, academia, medicine to do studies and to talk about barriers and challenges, but it's not often that you find, you know, someone actually taking action Mm -hmm. to address those barriers. And we're all about providing a bottom-up strategy, right? versus top down. We are not going to mandate to our patients what we think they need. We're going to ask them what they really need and listen to what those needs are and invite those individuals to have a voice in their health future, which, you know, they're they're not often asked to do. And creating that bottom-up patient perspective and helping people to ask better questions will obligate those at the top to come up with better answers, right? So we truly believe that this is a a bottom-up solution and, you know, we need to listen and we need to carry that torch. Yeah, that's well said. And it's, uh, it's difficult, you know, I mean, especially with more advanced things like cancer, you know, things get really complicated and it's not straightforward ever from where do I go to how much is it and what drug do I take and how often it just it's so complicated and having their their best interest in mind is is something that should be standard I feel like we're starting to become better at it but we still have a long way to go give us an example Dana of, of how you guys have helped improve outcomes or you know made lives better so back when I first started this organization um, we were all about clinical trial navigation and connecting patients to trials and helping them with the financial uh, toxicity side of things. Mm -hmm. And that was great. And it's, you know, was altruistic and noble, but I really felt like we weren't changing anything. And I really wanted to change, you know, literally transform bench to bedside in relation to clinical trial enrollment and diversity. So In 2012, we came up with a program called IMPACT, Improving Mm -hmm. Patient Access to Cancer Clinical Trials. 
And that program uh, is an institutional level program where you know we, we had a hypothesis that if we undertook specific actions at the institutional level, right from the beginning of the process when a patient is considering clinical trial participation, when they're going through the consent process, we introduce them to the financial reimbursement program, literally removing finances from their whole thought process right from the get-go. So they can focus on what's best for them, right? right? And uh, their health and, and for their family. And we showed in a pilot study at Massachusetts General Hospital, which was then called the Cancer Care Equity Program, that we could, by undertaking those specific actions, positively influence clinical trial enrollment and diversity. We improved enrollment by 29% and we doubled minority participation. So we decided to, you know, take the results of that pilot study. We rebranded it to Impact and are now in a full-on nationwide program with Impact at four comprehensive cancer centers: uh, UCSF in San Francisco, USC Norris in Los Angeles, MD Anderson, and Penn Abramson in Philly. And our results from January 1, January 1 of 2018 okay. through mm-hmm. August 31 of 2020, we have uh, 64% minority participation in nice. the impact program. And of those participants, 53% come from households earning $25,000 or less. Wow. These are clearly Amazing. individuals who would never be able to consider participating in a trial without the travel assistance that they're receiving from Lazarus Cancer Foundation. That's awesome. That's amazing. Congratulations on those numbers. Obviously the people behind the numbers, right? But you know, you're 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 running an organization, you know, to improve it, you gotta measure it to, you know, and you gotta measure it to make it better. So um from five percent, which was the initial number, I mean it, it's just flabbergasting. <laughs> I love it. Good for um, you. It is. And in my, you know, in my wildest dreams, I mean, it, with our care program, which is our, just our day-to-day, you know, patients call us, we, we provide uh, help to them. Our minority participation is about, it bumps up and down, but it's about 30%, which is a significant increase above the national average of five, right? Mm-hmm. But with impact, we are really addressing the number one barrier for patients, which is I can't afford this mm-hmm. and I'm not going to use whatever resources I might have left over if I have any to yeah. do something that may or may not work. Mm-hmm. Patients are more focused on, you know, I I have limited time left. I want to leave my family or my children in the best possible position, right? Yeah. Yeah. We remove that from the equation. I love it. And and so the financial assistance, you know, you, you've mentioned it's it's the travel, it's the lodging. Does it also include the the specialty pharmaceuticals and, and the actual medical costs as well? Or so in a cancer clinical trial, the investigational drug, um, and and thanks to the Affordable Care Act, most of the costs associated with clinical trial participation are actually given free of charge. Oh, okay, um, cool. So yeah. that takes care of that piece. Yes. Um, most of it, you know, it. there are still some gray areas where insurance companies will not cover 
certain things because it's considered investigational, right? So mm-hmm. that's their caveat in the way that they get out of having to cover things. But to be clear, I mean, it, more and more and more, we're closing the gap on those things. However, there is no you know, protocol or standard for helping patients with the out-of-pocket expense, travel expense, right? Yeah. So consequently, what that does is if you are an individual with cancer and you have resources, financial resources, right, you get to go yeah. to a clinical trial, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't, you, you're not even going to consider it. And consider that's, yeah. you know, and poverty, sadly, disproportionately affects our communities of color, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we're reaping what we've sown, right? And we're seeing that in the numbers, we only have 5% nationwide participation in cancer clinical trials with, with people of color, right? And we can do better. And so we're all about doing better, right? Bringing the trials to the community, giving patients more opportunity. And by offering travel reimbursement, we're actually creating a platform of equitable access, right? So we can address these health disparities around cancer clinical trials, right? We're not enriching people. We're not writing them checks and they're not, right? It's not an income opportunity. It's simply creating parity and equity so that everyone has the opportunity to take advantage of medical breakthroughs in cancer clinical trials. I love it. That's so great. And uh, it is, it is, uh, it's a blessing uh, what you guys are doing for, for people right now. And so as you, and I'm sure, Dana, as you very well know, after 14 years of doing this, it's challenging. So I'd love to hone in on what you believe one of the biggest setbacks you've had and what was the key learning that came out of it? Yeah, so that's a loaded question, Saul, but <laughs> I will um, do my best to answer it succinctly for you. So, sure. you know, back in 2012, when I, when I got frustrated, you know, we could only help as many patients as we were able to raise money to support, which is great. But I said, mm-hmm. you know, we, something's got to change here. We, we need to fix the problem, not just service the problem, right? So... I started to ask better questions and I started looking at why does this problem begin uh, exist to begin with? And it took me in a completely different direction than I had ever anticipated. But the answer to that question was that because of some of the medical atrocities that have occurred in the history of our country, There was FDA guidance language that was literally authored to protect people from being taken advantage of that said you cannot coerce or induce a patient to participate in a trial with financial gain. In Mm -hmm. other words, no pay to play, right? Mm -hmm. And that's all good, except that with the stroke of a pen, that language had a very unintended consequence. And that consequence is that the very people it was trying to protect were now being prevented from being able to participate in trials 
because they simply couldn't afford it, Mm -hmm. right? So fast forward, here we are looking at this problem in all of my discussions with biopharma. And I, I talked to five or six big pharmaceutical companies. And I, you know, I asked them, why won't you support our work? Why, why are you not including out-of-pocket expense as part of your clinical trial budgets? And the answer was, we're not allowed to. We will have, you know, the FDA can come down on us and we will have serious fines if we coerce or induce. So believe it or not, that was the crux of the problem. And I realized we have to address that issue because the only way we're going to come up with a sustainable solution mm-hmm. is if we, you know, interact with pharma and actually get them to include those out-of-pocket right. travel expenses as part of their protocol, right? So I asked them, okay, if I'm able to address this coercion and inducement issue, can we have a different conversation? And of, and across the board, they all said said yes with sort of like a mildly yellow-orange light. Like, okay, <laughs> we can, but they really weren't sure that I'd be able yeah, to do that. They're just and, like, yeah, sure. You know, we'll see where she goes with this. Yeah, right. In, in, a, in a perfect <laughs> world, right? <laughs> right, right. Sure, sure we can, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, well, lo and behold, I was uh, spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill spent a lot of time uh, with state legislatures uh, and with the FDA, and we actually were able to get FDA guidance language that says out-of-pocket expense is a barrier for clinical trial participation, and it is allowable. I'm paraphrasing, but right? Yeah, yeah. And we had success at the state level with legislation (laughs) because IRBs, internal review boards were, were concerned as well, right? Because they, they were beholden or, you know, handcuffed basically by that same notion. So we dealt with that on the federal level. We dealt with it at the state level. We have state legislation now in, in, in five states and we're working on, you know, half a dozen more currently. And we've created this permissible environment now. So we were able, you know, we, we actually carved out reimbursement from inducement and coercion, and we've made it okay to create that platform of, of equitable access. So now we're having different conversations and pharma is coming to the table, but the reluctance, you know, we've, we've, um, it's been that way for so long, um, for decades, they've, you know, there's been this whole concern around coercion and inducement. It's taking a long time to, I refer to it as turning the battleship in the bathtub, right? Mm-hmm. But they're coming mm-hmm. along. And, you That's know, un- until we can put action behind those words on a page, it means nothing, right? And we're yeah. starting to to take action now. So I would say that was, that was one of the biggest setbacks. And, uh, you know, my key learning is that you can make the impossible possible. Yeah. Right. Here I am, a designer from Danville, California, who never intended to end up with a cancer foundation who is addressing access barriers. Right. Yeah. But I think in a way, because I don't have a medical background, I also didn't you know, I, I was able to see things from a fresh perspective and a different mm-hmm. perspective. And I didn't 
I didn't have any or assumptions, right? I wasn't, mm. oh, you know, we can't do this. We can't do that, right? I'm just looking at it. What can we do? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, with my team, we were able to get that done. So never underestimate the power to to make a difference. And I, I think that's that's one of my key learnings. That is awesome. What a great story, Dana. And <laughs> I love that you are over in, in, in DC. You're, you're knocking on doors, having discussions. And <laughs> lo and behold, a carve out for these specific things that we're discussing today. I mean, just awesome. And then the thing that you left us with there is words on paper. You've got to take some action here. Take some action to reinforce your message at the beginning of the podcast, right? Take some action. Uh, it's, all, and- it's all about the action that you take. Because at the end of the day, if you're actually not able to help patients, what what good have we done? I mean, all yeah. of the research, right? All of the development. If it doesn't get to the patient, then we might as well have not done it at all. I agree with you, hundred thousand percent. And I love your passion, Dana. As you're passionate about helping people and you know increasing access, what are you most excited about today? Oh my gosh, there's so many things, but um, I'm really excited about the opportunity to to bring health disparities to the forefront again, right? Mm-hmm. COVID has, it's blatantly obvious to everyone now what health disparities are and why they exist. And yes, they do exist. And I don't want to revisit this 20 years from now when we have another pandemic and we go, oh my gosh, you know, look at our people of color who are, who are, are being diagnosed and dying disproportionately, Mm -hmm. right? I don't ever want to revisit this. We have an opportunity right here, right now to get it right. It's not easy. It's a heavy lift. That's why it hasn't been done yet. But, you know, we are looking at this issue. Nobody owns the problem. It's a policy problem. It's a legislation problem. It's a medical problem. It's an academic problem. It's, you know, it's a regulatory problem. It's it's an R&D and, and pharma problem. But just like we had this environment that was handcuffing people to do the right thing and include travel expense, we, we also have that same issue around our health disparities. So we have to look at this and do a bit of a deconstruction project. Look at it from the perspective of every stakeholder and understand what the challenges are from every stakeholder's perspective. And then slowly reconstruct and come up with a solution that is acceptable and engages with everyone. That's how we're going to fix this problem. And it's not easy. It's not about health fairs. It's not about handing out, you know, pens and and rubber bracelets. It's about being in the community, place-based leadership, culturally appropriate programs, and Having the community lead that effort, hearing them, giving them a voice. We're doing that in Philadelphia right now. And I have to tell you, in the, the Promise Zone in West Philly, in 10 of the poorest African-American Black neighborhoods in West Philadelphia, we have 10 neighborhoods 
thousands, tens of thousands of people who are excited about participating in their health future. That's we awesome. can do it. We're trying to, we're, we're looking at this thing. It's a, it's a, it's a big, as I said, a heavy lift, but our goal is to create a program that's replicable and cost effective so that we can take this effort on in communities all over the country, whether it's LA or Miami or Chicago or, or Baltimore. And so I'm really excited about the possibility of addressing health disparities and making this problem go away. That is amazing. So the program in, in Philadelphia, just, I guess, you know, I mean, that's so wonderful that you've expanded the vision to overall health you know, disparities and <laughs> you're walking the the walk, you know, you're, you're taking action. You're not just Thank excited you. about it. You're actually doing something about it, Thank which is you. hard. Well, you know, we realized that for, for the comprehensive cancer centers, their patient base is already engaged, mm-hmm. right? They, they already have done the homework or they have the resources to be at the comprehensive cancer center. That's not going to move the needle on the 5%. It's the people who aren't engaged yet, right? And the people who don't have the opportunity to engage in healthcare at that level, that's where we're going to make the difference. And so we took our impact program and created another program called Community Impact. And that's where we're in West Philly right now, you know, taking these actions at the local level in the community and creating a bridge between their local resources and assets to the the cancer treatment, healthcare, and ultimately, if needed, cancer clinical trials. Um, so stay tuned because we we've created the baseline. We, you know, COVID's given us some some challenges, but we're navigating around that right now. And uh, I hope to have some very positive outcomes to report here in the next, maybe by the end of next year, even. Love it. Dana, well, uh, congratulations to you and your team for the amazing work that you're doing. Folks, if you're curious about how to learn more, where to donate, or how to just to get involved, the website is lazarex.org. You'll also see it on the the website. Go to outcomesrocket.health, type in Lazarex. You'll see our interview with Dana there, the full transcript and show notes. Dana, take us home with what we should be thinking about and the best place that the listeners could reach out to you or, or your team directly. Yeah, so I, I just really want people to remember that cancer doesn't, you know, just because we have this issue with COVID right now, cancer doesn't go away. You know, cancer diagnoses are down 25, 30%. And it's not because it's not there. It's because patients are afraid to, mm-hmm. to go to seek medical help, right? And we're unfortunately kicking the can down the road where perhaps a stage one or stage two diagnosis will become a stage three or stage four diagnosis where your prognosis for survival is so much lower. So please, please, if you do feel that you have a medical issue or you feel a lump in your breast or you please seek medical help now. Because if there's anything we've learned throughout the situation with COVID, our medical facilities do have the ability to safely 
address these problems and do screenings. Um, so do not wait, do not wait, make sure uh, we get that done. And as far as how we can engage better with your audience, um, please know that we are a resource for anyone out there who needs to learn more about clinical trials or wants to identify clinical trial opportunity and might need financial assistance to get there. And the best way to do that is to reach out to us on our website, which is lazarex.org, L-A-Z-A-R-E-X.org. And on our website, you will see all of the links to all of our social media as well. Love it. Dana, what a tremendous invitation to all of our listeners. And uh, I thank you for that. And listeners, do your job. Spread the word. The work that's being done here by Dana and team is just uh, extraordinary. Let's help improve patient access to clinical trials. Let's, yeah, let's, let's you know, it. Saul, it's, uh, there is, you know, I come from Golden State Warrior territory. <laughs> and, you know, their, their tagline is strength in numbers. Yeah. Um, and it's so true. There mm-hmm. is strength in numbers. And the more people that we can bring together around this issue, the better the opportunity to create this, this bottom-up movement and a, this bottom-up solution. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Dana. Appreciate the uh, work that you guys are up to. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.